in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. The Peoria Civic Center just wrapped up its 2023 fiscal year, and officials say it was a pretty good year. This despite the fact that there has been some controversy, specifically as negotiations took place involving whether the Peoria Rivermen would return to Carver Arena, and as the center received $20 million in city bond money to make infrastructure repairs, including to the arena's ice plant. Those ice plant repairs, by the way, have not yet been made. Nevertheless, success is success, and the Civic Center is recovering well following COVID-19. This is part of a presentation General Manager Rick Edgar made a few days ago to the Peoria City Council. We just had our best financial year in the history of the venue that we just wrapped up on August uh, 31st. Um, Content-driven results. Our net income was up over a million dollars of our best fiscal year ever coming into this year. Our our adjusted gross income was 7.1 million. We've only had two years where it was over six. And we also became a tier one Ticketmaster facility. What that does is that puts us up into the elite class of Ticketmaster, and it means we had to sell a minimum of 175,000 tickets online to our events this year. Um, Probably the best slide out of here is we paid more than $1 million in taxes directly from our event. So while often it is seen as that we are given tax money to run our venue, we actually contribute more in taxes that come back to that HRA than we actually take in. This year was the first year we were over a million dollars, and you can see the, uh, we did skip 21 because that was the COVID year, but you can see those numbers keep going up. So the more events, more revenue we're driving, the better it is and less is the taxpayer's burden directly on the venue. Some of the big numbers that we had this year, and I'm going to point out a few, we had over 452,791 guests. These are guests. These are not employees in the building. These aren't other folks. These are actually documented ticket buyers and folks that went through a turnstile. We did 352 event days out of 365, 142 ticketed events. One of the things that we're really proud of is that we donated more than 2,000 tickets to charity, a lot of those to veteran organizations and to folks who just can't normally come to a show. We often donate and help others raise funds for their organization. Uh, We set a concessions revenue this year at $3.1 million gross sales, 13 million in ticket sales, and our net income was $6 million from the events. We believe in investing in infrastructure. The most important thing we can do is invest in our people. When we had the COVID shutdown, we identified 17 staff members that we felt like we need to retain. I am happy to sit here today and say all 17 are still with us. Our industry in particular has had a lot of job poaching, folks leaving. These folks are committed to our mission and are staying with us and it's leading to great results. We purchased a a decorating company, Peoria Expo. We paid for it in the first six months of owning it, and we generated $400,000 in new business on that line item alone this year. Our parking system, when we went to the parking system, we increased our revenue by 75% and lowered our expenses by 300%. Again, we're trying to do well by the taxpayer's dollars, that better, (laughs) taxpayer's dollars to be able to get not only drive revenues, but also guest experience. Um, And probably the one that's on here that we're really proud of is our capital investment. Over the last year, we've fixed our HVAC, our boilers, and LED lighting. Our gas usage is down 50% over annual. Uh, Our electric was down 21%. 
those two numbers alone, based on today's rates, saved the taxpayers over $202,000 just by the reduced usage. And by the way, we use the building more than we ever have in the last 10 years. Capital projects, I'm going to point out that first picture. That was our drainage system on our roof. You can see it had collapsed within itself because we did not have the money to fix it. So that's why we had leaks. Those were the things that we were dealing with. On the right, you can see the wide picture. We have now fixed that. So we're hoping to rectify any leaks in the building, and we've got most of them now, to give a better guest experience. The arena sound system was just installed this past week. We're now putting in lower bowl retractable seating that has been needing to be replaced for about 15 years. And now it's going to be added safety for guests that come to our shows with handrails that we didn't have previously. Uh, also on uh, docket for this year are the dressing rooms, and there's a list of projects that we sent in your packets that you can look at. The ones that are going to be noticed by the public in the next uh, two years is we're replacing our scoreboard, the ribbon boards around the building, and we're also going to repurpose the current scoreboard screen to go out front when you come in for games. This was a direct uh, ask of uh, Bradley University with the basketball team to up their game as they're um, battling other universities for quality athletes in the NIL environment. We've been restructuring our business models to get return on investment on the taxpayer's dollars. Our HRA allocation for convention center events, you often have to incentivize a group to come to the community. In 2019, we were getting a dollar and three cents on a direct return for every dollar we spent. I'm very happy to report that Bo Sutherland and his team has got us now to $5.45. So for every dollar we spend, we get $5.45 back in the venue. That does not include the money spent on restaurants, hotels. So it's a great investment. We're utilizing those dollars to their fullest. We also changed how our incentives were. It used to be we love big events. We had 6,000 hotel rooms. We don't have 6,000 hotel rooms in downtown Peoria. And now to get incentive dollars, you have to spend the money where the taxpayers who fund our building have interest. So it has to be spent in the city of Peoria to get those dollars. If they fall short, they can stay wherever they want. But if they fall short, then the incentive dollars go away. Um, we've had a little more flexibility on deal, deal structures, and I think that has really been a key. We listen to our folks who want to work with us and find out where their pain is. We help satisfy that pain and bring them to the market. And in tenant contracts, one of the things that we're doing is trying to help our tenants get to more people. And uh, a great example is the Peoria Symphony Orchestra. They've been relatively stagnant. And we went with them, and we've now put together a plan to help them outside get more people into their events. And we've now introduced them to our 56,000 list of emailers to try to get more people into the symphony. In the convention center, here's some of the events, but I've got a slide later that's going to touch on the two events here, the volleyball and Pokemon, so I'm going to come back to that. YASM Global, that's the company I work for, so people all the time go, what does ASM Global do for us? Well, directly, ASM Global has given them $1 million to the PCCA under this current contract to reinvest in Peoria and into the venue. Those are real dollars that they, that they brought into the deal. Industry recognition. So many doors open for me when we go on these tours because we can say we're an ASM global building. If you go as a solo person, it's very hard to get in with agents and promoters. Our regional marketing. We now have the regional marketing director in our venue for ASM, which that means is we get the tips on the things when they're new first and we get first shot at them. And our new Ticketmaster deal, I mentioned we went to Tier 1. Our deal is stronger than any of our competitors in the state outside of Chicago. 
which means we have an advantage that we can share with our promoters that makes us a more attractive venue for them. Um, also, the thing that I'm really happy is our authority has seen the relevancy of ASM Global and what we've brought to the market, especially in the last few years, and our contract has been extended, so we're here through August of 28. We couldn't be happier. And one issue that we wanted to share with you is revenue compression. With expenses going up on tours, gas costs more, bus drivers need more, the cost of food going up. Everything's going up, but the amount of seats we have in the theater and some of these smaller events don't increase. And we're also getting pressure to keep prices low. So you get that revenue compression. So we have to take this into effect going into the future. It will eliminate some shows from our market because we just can't afford to put them on anymore. Uh, the other one is, is they don't travel with their equipment a lot. Used to bring sound and lights. Now they want to rent them locally. So then it becomes a venue expense. So again, it makes it a little bit uh, tougher to make money on those shows and make them viable. We're still in conversations with the hockey team. And we, both parties have agreed to not really discuss those terms out, out in public. But what we've agreed is once we have a long-term commitment, then we'll be able to move forward. Uh, one of the challenges with that is the supply line chains are a year out. And we had a deadline this year if we wanted to do it next summer. Um, so we're now looking at the summer of 25 to close the venue to do the ice. Peoria Civic Center General Manager Rick Edgar to the Peoria City Council recently. More Week in Review, coming up. Local county clerks and election authorities, those who both claim a political party and those who don't, remain concerned about misinformation heading into the 2024 presidential election year. Specifically, misinformation surrounding how the tabulation of votes works and how votes are cast. So the election authorities toured Illinois this week holding news conferences to try and dispel those rumors with one simple message. Just ask. Just contact your local election authority and ask them how elections work. In this area, a news conference was held in Pekin at the Tazewell County Justice Center. Among clerks and authorities from a number of different counties were Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman, Peoria County Election Commission Executive Director Elizabeth Gannon, and Matt Dietrich, spokesperson for the Illinois State Board of Elections. The State Board of Elections actually has a staff member who works in the Illinois State Police State Terrorism and Intelligence Center. Uh, in Springfield, the stick, they call it. Um, and she is always monitoring any social media traffic. Um, they, they look at uh, even mainstream, uh, anything about elections. Um, and they'll flag, not just on election day, but throughout the year, they'll flag anything that looks, and, and actually it's things as innocent as a typo on an election date. Um, they might check with me to see, hey, is this really when this happens? And it, had, you know, if it's printed in a newspaper somewhere, then I can reach out and get that corrected. But um, more specifically, right leading up to and on Election Day, through our national group, the um, National Association of State Election Directors, um, the, the social media companies work with us, work with the states to set up um, keyword searches um, uh, and, and mechanisms where we can really watch closely anything related to elections, especially on election day, that might be something like um, 
you know, Winnebago County, voting will stop at 3 p.m. due to a power outage. Things like that that are, you know, patently false, but if they get out, they could cause, you know, who knows, dozens, hundreds of voters to decide not to vote. We never want that to happen. So we're watching for stuff like that. Luckily, we haven't had anything where we've had an emergency like that uh, over the last three, four elections that we've been that we've been doing this. But we're we're always watching closely for it. The other thing that you're going to see um, uh, on a statewide level is in 2020, we uh, we had uh, TV and radio ads airing throughout the state, um, and they were focused on getting people to vote early or vote by mail in response to the pandemic. We were just trying to avoid crowding on election day. You'll see a similar thing this year, but it's gonna be focused on election myths and debunking election myths like Sharpie gate, you know, things like that. I know they're gonna come back around. And you know that whenever it hits social media, it's gonna hit a whole lot of people who don't already know that it's fake. So you have to keep debunking and debunking. So we'll have an active campaign about that and um, we'll do be doing a lot of social media on that as well. You'll find that we all deal with a, an onslaught um, as of late of items coming forward. Um, we are all inundated right now with FOIAs. Um, we've been getting, although, knock on wood, but it seems like they've uh, <laughs> slowed down a bit, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, it might have chased myself, sorry. Uh, but uh, one of us will receive one. And within hours, all of us have received it. And it's the exact same message from the exact same person. And, and it's just broadcast, over, uh, overly broadcast. You know, my rule with FOIAs is FOIA has a reasoning. And it has a, there's a reason that it's a law and a reason where it needs to be implemented but it shouldn't be your first go-to item. Individuals, we encourage you, and that's part of today's message. You've heard it again and again. Come talk with us. We want to engage with the public to answer any questions or concerns they have. We want to tear the equipment apart, show you what takes place. I had a gentleman really convinced that you could hack my tabulator, and we tore it apart and showed him there's no receiver. You can't hack if it doesn't have any way of broadcasting or receiving information, and he was, he was convinced at that point then. You know, Doubting Tom was an apostle just like the rest of them. And, you know, it, it's not, he was, wasn't any less of a person because he was asking questions. He just wanted it to be there. We want those Doubting Toms. Come forward. Let us tear the equipment apart. Let us show you and answer any questions you have. That's a lot easier for us than having a FOIA that requires our staff's time of making sure that we answer that in a timely manner, uh, the specified five-day time frame. Um, especially when a lot of times the FOIAs are items we don't have here in Illinois. They're asking for data and for uh, uh, log books that don't exist because they've gotten the information from out-of-state sources rather than sources within the state. Um, that's just something, just because a county is smaller than one or larger than another, we're still seeing the same amount of value. If anything, I would say, I do feel sorry for some of my smaller uh, counties because I have staff that can help get that stuff prepared. Many of them are the only, one of only three employees in that office, one of only two employees in that office. 
that's really taking a huge amount of their time to, to answer the same amount of questions as a larger county. So, no, I don't think that it's areas, parts of the state that are, have more problems than the rest. We are all seeing this. And that's why we're all here today united to make this statement, this plea to the public to work with us, come in and talk with us. And also to make sure that they know we're not strangers. They know who we are. Um, I think that gets overlooked sometimes. It's easy when you hear this national dialogue to think, well, if that's happening in Philadelphia, if that's happening in Arizona, then that's got to be happening here. And it's just simply not. Uh, we, we have vastly different laws. Um, in both of those examples, we have local control of our management of our systems where they don't. Um, and so it, there's a much different dialogue there. Everyone just picks up their phone or they go to their computer and start Googling it to people call in. And I think that's something that we have really in Peoria County tried to implement in the last you know, four years is that people aren't just going to call in, they actually are going to Google it, which is great. There's information at your fingertips, but we have to give them that accurate information at their fingertips. So we have worked very hard to put so much of those myths or the election certification of our equipment, those links and all that data on our websites. If we don't have it, we're linking it to the state board of elections or we're linking it directly to our voting equipment vendor. So if you do Google it, you can find that accurate information. And we have also really beefed up our social media output and the data that we're trying to get out there to get that correct, accurate data in those people's hands. And, and I, I think that that is important to know that even if you don't want to call in, you can still find that information out there. And to know that your local election jurisdiction is your source for accurate information during your election cycle and take advantage of them. I have been doing this, I've been working in elections for 18 years and um, I have seen it change dramatically in the last eight, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, being transparent and putting that information out there is good. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I also think that everybody standing behind you here takes an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of Illinois. And we're trying to do the best that we can. And that can, you know, I, we, we were talking about, um, we had a, a conference last week for our Illinois Association of County Clerks and Recorders. And one of the main topics that we dealt with was resilience and dealing with stress, trauma, and burnout. And so that is, that is something that we're all seeing and we're all trying to deal with that. Uh, this is very weighing for us, but you know what? We believe in the system and we believe in what we're doing and we wanna stand behind that and fight for it. Peoria County Election Commission Executive Director Elizabeth Gannon, Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman, and Matt Dietrich, spokesperson for the Illinois State Board of Elections. More Week in Review coming up. An executive with Peoria's OSF Healthcare is being honored by the President of Ukraine as war with Russia continues. Vice President of Government Relations Chris Manson received the cross of Ivan Mazipa from Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky as part of a ceremony at the National Archives in Washington last week. Manson was one of nearly two dozen people who received the award at the ceremony. 
Manson created U.S. ambulances for Ukraine in March of 2022 after his daughter asked if anything could be done to help the Ukrainian people. To date, 67 emergency vehicles that include ambulances, fire trucks, and more have been donated. Manson spoke a few days ago with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. At some point, the uh, Ukrainian consulate out of Chicago um, forwarded some information, and the uh, president then of uh, Ukraine decided to uh, award me a medal. The uh, Cross of Ivan Mazepa. Yeah, the Cross of Ivan Mazepa. So, Mazepa, okay. Uh, that's okay. I mean, or one, one, one way or the other is right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you could be right there. But, um, yeah, it's it, there's some – you get it for doing some humanitarian stuff or helping the military or whatever. So, um, it, you know, it definitely is a, a big honor. Um, I found out I was going to D.C. for work last week anyway, and then I, I get a call from the consulate, and they said, hey, um, you're going to be in a call from the embassy in uh, D.C., from the Ukrainian embassy. So I said, okay. So I get a call Sunday night, and they said, hey, why don't you um, go to the National Archives on Thursday? Uh, the president of Ukraine is going to be there. You can't tell anyone about it. And um, and I was like, all right. <laughs> so that was it. And, well, and, and what's weird about that is, well, You've been working all of uh, much of what you do. You have to be kind of secretive about. You can't be telling people, "Hey, we're dropping in an ambulance at this place tomorrow." Uh, so, so getting a call where somebody says you can't tell anybody is kind of par for your course right now, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. When we do the uh, shipments, um, you know, we talk about we were out there on Twitter and other places asking for stuff, but then there's a, a time period where we kind of go dark, where we don't yeah. talk about where we're going to be, when we're going to be places. The people from the United States that decide they want to go with me, I tell them you, know, you can't share too much as far as details. In fact, I don't even tell them where we're going to cross exactly. And then when they get to Poland, we have a little meeting, and I tell them what's going to go down and how we break it down. And then from that point forward, we, you know, we proceed and we cross. And then afterwards, then we kind of go out on Twitter and tell the world, hey, look, we've delivered these ambulances to these locations. And even then, we um, we block out faces or we kind of obscure obscure exact locations just for fear of sure. those those units being targeted. Oh, by absolutely! Yeah. You know what I find very interesting? <clears throat> All of this came from a question from your daughter while you're sitting and watching TV. What can we do to help? Yeah. And now here we are. I don't know how much time later. Not that long, really. Fifteen months. Fifteen months. You already have understood the landscape how to get things done logistics blocking people's faces house and doing all that when 15 months ago you wouldn't even think that you'd be doing that right no no you're right i mean i had no idea um where this was going to lead um when my daughter asked the question you know hey dad what can we do to help um when we finally landed on that idea of one ambulance it was one ambulance it's like wow this would be as great if we could get one ambulance and i still remember standing on that seven or being in that 747 in the belly of that aircraft when that first amt ambulance was finally loaded just kind of breathing a sigh of relief that i was done that i had <laughs> said i was going to do this and i've accomplished that mission and i was done and then i had no idea the next day i'd get a call and someone had asked for 20 more ambulances no idea yeah. when uh, i know we played a clip this morning of you in our newscast uh, speaking of the first amt ambulance and you had called uh, our all mutual friend andrew rand right. and his only response to you when you asked was gas or diesel right 
But I don't know what you chose. Did you choose gas or diesel? I said, which one's the better? Ambulance? <laughs> is that what you did? Yeah, I did because yeah. I said, which one's going to, he goes, the, the, the gas ambulance is, is going to be a little better. Um, but I will tell you, since then, I've driven ambulances in that have had 300,000 miles on them. I've driven ambulances in where the steering wheel is kind of like at a, you know, I kind of have it crooked and I'm still driving straight. Um, I just took one ambulance in that, you know, basically, um, it, we, it was rusted out, and we kind of we had to sister some some metal plates in here and there. And because the reality of it is, like for example, that one ambulance that had over three hundred thousand miles on the steering wheel was crooked. We we drove it in from Poland into Ukraine. We got it to where it needed to go, um, and then it went to work right away on the front, and it worked for two and a half months every day, nonstop. Wow. And um, after two and a half months, it was destroyed. It was blown up. It was destroyed in combat. The the crew was wounded. But for two and a half months, every single day, that ambulance, that old 300,000-mile ambulance with the crooked steering delivered about 20 wounded people per day for, t- wow. for, for two and a half months straight, every day. Wow. You know, I know Putin has struck interior-wise, you know, and hit around Kiev and other places. Have you seen worn, torn areas? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things when I, I get that often from people like, oh, you know, have you seen things, or do you go and do you, do you go to look to this location or that location? And when I'm there, I'm basically very much mission focused. Um, but in doing so, I mean, I've been to Kherson, I've been to Kharkiv, um, I've been to places um, that were occupied or have been, um, you know, bombed. I, one time, I was down near Kherson, and we inadvertently had wound up on a road that had previously been mined because it had been occupied, and we're driving down this road trying to catch up with one of our ambulances. And we start noticing the the holes in the ground in the in the road, and we look over in the field and we see bigger craters. And we're like, okay, those are artillery sh- impacts or whatever. And then we see the uh, vehicles blown up on the side of the road, and we realize, oh, this road's been mined. And you know, it's like eight o'clock at night; it's dark. We have no idea if the mine, the road's been oh cleared or not. Gosh. And so you get that pit in your stomach. But um, but you know, we we went ahead and we 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 got out of there and, and did our thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you, you do see those things um, just by be. Just by being there and uh, you know delivering these vehicles to closer to the front line, but for the most part, I stay I stay back, you know, to some degree. I mean, I'm, there's no reason for us to go to the front line, but sure. we try to get the vehicles to where they need to be. How many times? Yeah, I'm, sure, you, I'm sure your family's like, "Hey, Dad, this is great. All, what you're doing, <laughs> stay back." So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to get to that in a second. But how many times have you been? Uh, I've been there six times. Six times. I, I I did have this conversation with a couple of guys the other day when I was first aware of your award and stuff. And we all were uh, trying to imagine telling our wives that we were, hey, hey, uh, I'm going to be gone for a week or two. And where are you going? Because you travel a lot anyway for your job with OSF, right? Right. right. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go to Ukraine and drop off some uh, ambulances. I, I, how did that go? Uh, tell me about your wife. <laughs> maybe that went a little she too easy. She must be a remarkable person. <laughs> oh, she is. I was just going to say, maybe that conversation went a little too easy. <laughs> no, no, the, the... Uh, yeah, go do what you want, Chris. I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah, insurance is all paid up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, she's she's amazing. Um, you know, the reality of it is the first trip, I basically, I think I had, I was, I had the uh, ticket up on the computer screen and I said, hey, um, I think I need to go to Ukraine just to make sure that the, amb- the two ambulances we've delivered so far are going where they need to be. You don't have any problem with that, do, do you? <laughs> so I Way kinda, to load up that question. Yeah, I kind of I yeah. asked it, uh, yeah. a front-loaded the question. But she was she was good with it. And, I mean, throughout the whole process, I mean, she's been great. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do it if, she, if I didn't have the support of her and my daughter. And, you know, as 
the first few times were were somewhat easier. I will tell you, um, you know, as Russia has bombed more of the interior of Ukraine or, or done uh, kind of the, the drone strikes and the missile strikes and, and they've increased stuff, um, it's ramped up some anxiety for my daughter a little bit. So, you know, you try to balance that as much as possible. And sure. again, I, you know, I... I don't, you know, I'm not going there to, to, to um, you know, to, to play act or to get involved or to do, you know, I'm, not, I'm just going there to deliver vehicles. And just as much as I'm concerned about my safety, I, I usually take a team of Americans over there. And so, you know, safety is number one, you know, mission accomplishments right there behind sure. that. And so we take the, the precautions that are necessary. But, you know, like I tell people, I, I guess I, I would look at it as like a, uh, the, the missiles or whatever would kind of be like lightning if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's nothing, you know, it's just bad luck. Right. So an everyday guy question. So you're driving through Ukraine. Mm-hmm. You get hungry. Are there drive throughs What do you I was wondering about that, too. Diners? <laughs> yeah, where do you, where do you eat? eat? They have yeah. the best gas station hot dogs. They put these hot dogs in a... <laughs> Serious? I am, I'm telling you, this is, this is, the li- this is what, what I live on when I go there. Um, once you cross that border... Once we get in those vehicles, we're driving, and we, you know, we, we'll stay at the border for some length of time. But once we cross, you know, we could be going three, four, five hundred miles, and you know, we'll do a few hundred miles in a day. And you're driving fire engines, so it's kind of slower. Um, but you, the gas stations are what you live and die by. I mean, we, we pull in those gas stations; they've got great gas station hot dogs. They're better. I mean, I love the USA, but they're better. They're better than American. You can gas say sta- it. They're better you than American gas station hot dogs, and they. There's these special kind of buns, and they put mayonnaise and ketchup and stuff in them, and they slide the hot dog in there, and you just you, you live you live and die by those things, and you know you, you you load up and off you go, and you're off to the next you know, the next stop. I don't want to make light of any of the importance of this, and I don't want to tell you what to do in your retirement, but I do think opening a Ukrainian hot dog <laughs> store in America is going to be a winner. It's going to be a winner. I'll come. I'll be there every day. And then last week uh, you were given the cross of Ivan Mazipa. Yep. A, an award that they give uh, the president of Ukraine, Mr. Zelensky. President Zelensky gave that to you last week in D.C. Yep. Uh, quite beautiful. Uh, where will that hang, by the way? I, I'm looking at a picture of it. It's really cool looking. Yeah, um, I've, I'm going to – it's in my office, in my, in my home office, so it'll it'll be there. But on, to be honest with you, when I got home, um, you know, you mentioned my wife earlier. You mentioned my yep. daughter. Uh, you know, basically I gave it to them because the reality of it is without those two, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been successful. And without Lily's idea and without my wife's – support um not to mention everyone else's support but without them sure. none of this would have happened so it's kind of more of a family it, it's a beautiful thing osf healthcare vice president of government relations chris manson with wmbd's greg and dan more week in review coming up the peoria fire department has a brand new piece of equipment the department's been able to acquire a drone. The particular drone is somewhat large and has all the technological capabilities needed to make it perfect to aid in firefighting and other emergency operations. Mike Gawalik, a Peoria firefighter and drone enthusiast who's been flying them on his own for about 10 years, was initially hesitant at first to encourage the department to get one until it became very necessary. I talked with Mike Gawalik Friday. I think it all started um, a few years back. You know, we just think of any, like, search and rescue um, operation we could utilize um, something like this for, um, maybe on the river or in a densely uh, uh, forest. Um, also, any house fire with thermal imaging capabilities on the camera, um, you know, any bigger fire, warehouse fire, or 
uh, you know, multiple story building. We can we can kind of see, you know, with the thermal imaging that that helps our guys out a lot where the hot spots are. Um, and we could also utilize this for all of our special teams within the department. Um, our hazmat, you know, instead of bringing guys down like if a tanker was you know, flipped over or something, we could, we could just take the drone out. We have the capability with this drone to zoom in pretty good and we could read the placards and let our guys know what's going on before they even get close to it. You know, whereas before you'd have to use binoculars and all that stuff. And we can keep an eye on our guys too for extra safety through hazmat TRT. If we have to, you know, do a bridge rescue or something, we can take the drone out there, make sure everything, you know, looks good on, you know, before we even step foot out there and then also dive. We can, you know, take it on the river and, you know, search the river. Maybe we see the person, they, they didn't go underwater and they're out on the banks of the water or something. We find them with a drone. So there's all kind of applications and that's just kind of like tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a lot of other things that we could use it for. Um, small fires in woods. If we need to locate those brush fires, um, but it's kind of one of those tools that you don't need, you don't know until you you get it and you start using it for things. Um, we had that big Biorgia incident last year, um, which we used the drone. Uh, not this one in particular. We had another one, and we used the thermal imaging capabilities on that to kind of see what was going on within the within the bin that was on fire. We kind of kept an eye on it, you know, through the process of the whole thing when they were tearing it down and whatnot so like i said there's a lot of capabilities with that thing and with this one we got um you know we're trying to like the chief said trying to stay ahead of the (laughs) head of the you know technology curve but you you know how that works like anybody else i mean it just every year something better goes out so hopefully this will last us a few years and this will you know we try to get you know a a really good one for us to get going sounds like you're telling me that in the simplest way of putting it this is really just an extra set of eyes for the department in almost any situation you'd go out on yeah it is i mean that's that's a good way to look at it um you know with 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 our stuff and our equipment it's always good to have another tool in the toolbox to use like if we have a situation where we think hey let's get the drone out there instead of bringing all of our guys out here you know the, the the resources we could use the drone for i mean it just it makes sense sometimes with some of the things that we're doing so yeah i mean extra eyes you know for for safety reasons too like like i said with the hazmat i mean you got if you guys get you got your level a suits on those guys are going into the hot zone and you have the drone up there watching them those guys is you know they'll they'll have a little bit more peace of mind knowing that they're being watched from above they they have something you know, watching them, um, you know, just in case something happens, we, we could see it, you know, on the fly. We've got, like you saw in the command vehicle we have here, you know, we've got live streaming back to our command vehicles. Um, we have the capability of putting it on people's phones. Like if we're doing a search and rescue, we can, we can mark dots in the woods, um, you know, or on the river if we have to, to, and then those can be relayed to the people on the phones or iPads or computers to go search those locations, you know, within that, you know, instantly. There's no no delay in anything. So that's kind of the, I mean, it's technology. It's, it's, it's just working for us. I mean, why not use these things that could help us with, 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 with these situations? 
did you imagine you'd have uh, some of these things when you started out as a firefighter? Uh, no, no, no. I it's it's been the drone thing's been kind of my dream for a long time. I I've been flying drones for about ten years now, so it's kind of something I've always dabbled in, and I've always tried to implement it with it. Like I always tried to bring it into the fire department. We had a lot of things going on in the last couple of years where it just wasn't feasible or whatnot. So. You know, it was it was good to be able to finally, you know, see this through and, and really get it off the ground and going because I really believe that it's it's a it's a it's an asset to the department and, and not just to our department, like really anybody around the area. You know, I know uh, other departments around us have drones or whatnot, but, you know, it's always good to have more sets of eyes i mean if you have a couple of drones looking for uh, somebody that's you know lost or or there's a situation where you need you know like you said more eyes i mean there's nothing wrong with that so i think in a whole it's a very very good tool for us how did this all come about and how did you get the drone you have or the drones you have well i think the Bihorgia incident helped us out a lot i think that you know i actually took my personal drone and um another uh i i i was loan uh some, another company let me a drone to use also on that incident and we had a, a mutual aid or a uh yeah a mutual department that came over too and we just saw the benefits of it our chiefs saw the benefits of it and you know it was kind of like hey this is a no-brainer you know i know we don't have the biorgia incidents incidents all the time but you know if we can if we can save a life if we can make a situation better you know if it's just one i mean there's really no price on that so to me it's like let's get this going so then we started you know that he kind of leaned on me chief leaned on me to you know see see what we need see what we can get and you know we kind of proceeded with you know i'm one of those technology guys so i'm like let's get something that's going to stay you know relevant for a few years you know that we we don't have to go and replace it. So I was like, let's just go go for it. And and you know we got this this uh, this drone we have. I mean, it's got like I said, it's got you know pretty good zoom capabilities. It's got thermal capabilities. It's got you know you can see at night with it. Um, it's got a laser in it to tell you how far away from th- you know things are. Um, it's just the benefits of it. And we got a spotlight on it too. Like if we want to use a spotlight. I mean, there's all kind of benefits to it. Peoria firefighter Mike Gowalik. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois for instant news 24-7. Follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and at WMBDradio.com. You can also get the Week in Review podcast at WMBDradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.